0: Well, I'm, I'm excited about this coming year for m- multiple reasons. Uh, in talking with the architect uh, on our building project and engineers, uh, it looks like if everything goes well by their timing, uh, we could have approval to build through the city by mid January. As long as nothing happens with the city, we have. Okay, so I want to address something because I've heard some nervousness. Listen, first time I've been through this. I have reached out to pastors in the area. There's not that many that have gone through building projects. The, the wise men that I've gone to, um, some of them, one of them says my church has just been financially well off. We never had to raise money. So I've been asked, when are we doing a campaign for, when are we going to know what we need to raise? And listen, you can give at any time and designate the building fund and it will sit there and be ready when we need it. But as far as a dollar amount, I don't feel comfortable with coming to you until I know that what the bank has said we can borrow and what the real deal is. I don't want to back up and have to, uh, you know, correct uh, what I thought would happen. So we have to have the information from the um, engineers and the architect before we can go to the bank. Um, Otherwise, it's a shot in the dark because they're going to give a very detailed price list of everything that's going to cost us material-wise, labor-wise. And then we're going to look at what we have in volunteer. I was just talking to Suzette about maps, and we're, we're having a little bit of delay there because <coughs> normally in most parts of the country, they will not approve you to be on the active list for people to sign up until you have your permits. In northwest Arkansas, you don't get your permits until you've got your shovel ready to go into the ground. So we're trying to clear that up with them and, and make sure because there's some people wanting to come, but they just, they're starting to have to make decisions on whether they're coming to our project or go to others. So pray that we can get that straightened out very quickly with the MAPS department. Uh, they're good folks, and they're really, they're pulling for us, they are. Uh, they've got good reasons for some of the rules they've had in the past about the permits. They've shown up on job sites to find out they weren't okay to build, and they've spent their money and brought their RVs and planned their schedule around that. So we understand from their side, but, but we are in a place where if somebody wants to build a house, they call, make a phone call, and two months later they're moving in just about. It's not quite that good, but pretty close. So <clears throat> we we need prayer in that area. It is gonna be more money than than uh what in the natural, you know, if we do the numbers or what where we're at. We're we're looking good as far as way things have been happening. New song God's been blessing and we're on a positive in increase every month and not a deficit. Praise God for that. Um so we're we're you know things are looking as good as as possibly can, but we need God's help. And so keep praying if the Lord leads you there's been some folks already um, Wednesday night or two ago someone uh, put in $1,700 towards a building fund already and so uh, if the Lord leads you I can tell you that uh, bare minimum I'm hoping that we can raise $100,000 before the building's done now I'm not saying that has to all come from New Song uh, I'm, I'm reaching out and I'm, I'm looking forward to going out and speaking to other groups and other uh, churches possibly about our building project so I believe God's going to bring it from all directions but uh, keep praying um, for that and then moving into I'll I'll not spend much time on this but another thing I'm excited about the new year is I feel God been stirring me about something we talked about in the past that I really see as a theme for our 2017 year and we went through a little time where it was tell the story you know recently we had uh, Don uh, gave his testimony and there was a while back we had people giving their testimonies but I believe God's been kind of giving me a vision about uh, about how we're to proceed, and, it, and it's kind of bleeding into other ideas He's had. Um, one little snippet: my mom, uh, she used to do sidewalk sidewalk Sunday school, where they had a mobile church, uh, and it's very fitting. We saw that video because they had a little four-channel uh, s- system, and I don't know how y'all did that—an inverter, or a, you had to find a place to plug in, or you. But anyway, they they would go to a a, a like a trailer park, or they go to apartment complex, open up a van, set up a puppet stage, set up equipment, and have sidewalk Sunday school. And so I've had that kind of stirring in my heart to do something like that for a while, and I believe that we can, uh, we can combine that theme next year with tell the story uh, with that and, and reach our neighborhood. Uh, I've joked, Danny and Melissa, neighbors, if you ever s- get stopped with a school bus outside their neighborhood, there's like a whole complete school bus full of kids that live right around them. And if we had the space or we had more people to do children's ministry, we could do a first service kids ministry and double our numbers of kids. Um, there's literally kids uh, all over Centerton that, that I believe don't have a home church right now. So anyway, so just be praying. Um, we're getting into here in November and it'll be December. We'll be starting the new year. And I believe God's going to lead us in some great directions. So just keep keep praying and and keep giving towards that extent. We have election in two days. Man, some of you look so worried. I don't know. Maybe I need to hand out money this morning and do a stimulus thing here this morning or something. But this has been an excellent example, I guess, if you want to choose those words of modern American political campaigning. I mean, We've had uh, vast confusion. At least I've been vastly confused. A verbal hailstorm of accusations on everybody, um, an abundance of mudslinging advertisements, and and then uh, both real and false personal attacks, and of course all of it brought to us by the media circus. And as I thought about this upcoming election, it occurred to me that everyone who is voting will be doing so in the belief that their candidate is better, that the other candidate is either uh, less competent, incompetent. Less qualified, disqualified, or willing or, unwilling, uh, willing or unwilling agent of Satan. I mean, that pretty much covers the gamut of people's feelings about this. L- listen, we, we have in the past had Christians on one side and others on another, elections. And now, in this election, we're seeing Christians on both sides and Christians being upset with Christians about how can you be a Christian and vote for that person. How can you be a Christian and endorse that candidate? So the division that we see out in the world among unbelievers, it's not just the unbelievers. We are a church divided now. Now I understand not all churches uh, maybe preach uh, the gospel uh, to the extent that they should. um, And they compromise and so they raise up Christians who compromise in their beliefs and, of course, I'm on this one side of the fence saying, how can you vote for this other person if you're a Christian? But as I was talking to Ken's girls this morning, I said, this is crazy. We've got, we've got two people that I, I would never want for a leader. I, I wouldn't want to put them over a team of two people in, in, at Walmart when I was there. I mean, neither one of them to me have the, the maturity to do that. So I'm, I'm going to be careful um, I don't want to go there. I, I got challenged on Facebook by someone, and I, I have a feeling it was directed really towards me and maybe others they think are like me, but um, that pastors need to speak out for the candidate they believe in. And um, I'm taking a little bit of time this morning. It's going to be a little bit different message. It's going to be strictly focused on, on what we've been focusing on on Wednesdays, on prayer, but how I believe we should respond as Christians. Listen, I'm not afraid of losing our Tax is status. That's not why I don't speak out for one candidate or the other. I care less what the IRS tries to do to us. Uh, they're not going to be able to defeat the church. God is going to keep the church going. N- no tax code is going to close us down. Um, I'm not f- I don't live in fear. I don't fear them. I, I fear my God in a holy fear. But I want to be very careful because sometimes I've been known to speak too quickly and prove myself a fool. And I I tell you, when we're this far from Washington and all the stuff going on that gets exposed later, I'm just very cautious about throwing full endorsement like this person is God's person. And I have watched as churches, large churches, have pulled a candidate up on stage. Both of them have been on stages in churches where they said, you are God's person. It's been revealed to us. And the praying over now, either they're serving two different gods or somebody's lying. I mean, I, I I hate to put it that way, but come on. Folks, those of us that kind of have our favorite maybe TV ministry or whatever, it's not just the ones of ministry. Just think of the ones that don't have access to TV or still doing those same kind of things. Those candidates just weren't in one or two churches. As Christians, we have to be very careful when we say, thus saith the Lord, that we're not thus saith my own opinion and dress it up as the Lord. God will not be mocked. There's a candidate for a city council that of a little-known town um, that was going door-to-door campaigning. He thought that was his way to way to go, so it was going pretty well. He was getting good response until he came to this old, cantankerous man's house. Big keep-out signs, you know, the dog in the yard, uh, purple-painted trees, if you know what I mean, no trespassing everywhere, and he thought, well, this is political, though. I'll take my chances. And he went to the door and. This man came in after giving his little spiel. This man said, I would rather vote for Satan himself than to vote for you. And he thought for a minute. And after he had had a little discourse with the man, he thought, "Eh, he's probably not going to be swayed. So he said, well, uh, I I understand. But since your friend is not running, would you consider supporting me? (laughs) We. We often put our foot in our mouth when we get uh, overzealous about our opposition in the pr- political realm, and like this man um, aligned himself with Satan before he knew it. But when we cast our votes in any election, we do so under the belief that we have the power through a vote to affect change. And in America, we need to be reminded that our votes can be far more important than we might suspect. We can say, oh, I'm... I'm uh, I'm not voting because, you know, it's just one vote, and I don't really believe in the process anymore. But in 1645, just one vote gave Oliver Cromwell control of England. One vote. In 1649, just one vote caused King Charles uh, of England to be executed. In 1776, just one vote gave America the English language instead of German. We could all be speak, speaking German this morning. I don't mind. They make good sausages. But in 1845, just one vote brought the state of Texas into the Union. In 1868, one vote saved President Andrew Johnson from impeachment. In 1876, one vote gave Rutherford B. Hayes the presidency of the United States. And in 1876, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. In 1943, one vote gave Adolf Hitler control of the Nazi party and changed the course of human history. One vote. In 1960, a single vote changed in each precinct in Illinois. Uh, it would have made Richard Nixon the president rather than John F. Kennedy. See, our, fo- our votes do make a difference. And we are, uh, our Christians as Christians, we should honor this sacred privilege and vote at every opportunity. But that being said, we need to realize that there are two inherent weaknesses in our semi-democratic process. There are two problems that plague the voting public, and it's not hanging chads. It's not um, the voter fraud. The first problem is that we are voting for mere mortals. Neither Superman nor Jesus is running for public office and Superman doesn't really exist. I hate to tell the kids this morning. I don't care how moral and upstanding any politician is that we vote in office. They are still a sinner. They are still prone to the same weaknesses and sinful tendencies and the same temptations as the rest of us. You know, I have my own opinions. I watched one candidate that, that a church was condoning and praying over and that Lord had spoke to them that, that this was a candidate. And I watched the face of that candidate. And, and in my mind, what I see when someone is a humble believer uh, being spoken over like that, you know, there's not a half grin and just kind of a, you know, there's no bow and reverence. There's not, you know, we, we put in our minds that somehow God is okay the person that we want, but we have to be very careful uh, that we are not speaking ahead of God these politicians are not God. they're they're human they don't walk on water they don't perform miracles and they will disappoint us here's a second problem second problem is we when we as Christians vote we often cast our vote under the mistaken belief that the candidate or the party in which we we vote for has the power within themselves to change the course of our city state or nation problem is that's not true. And it's never been true. They don't have the power in of themselves to do it. We're not just voting a president that's going to change everything. There's people in the background being voted in uh, that will sometimes work against them. Um, There's a whole slew of things, but they in themselves don't have the power to change the course of our city, state, or nation. And some of our best politicians have recognized this. In fact, on June 28th, 1787, Benjamin Franklin addressed George Washington as the chair of the United States Constitutional Convention. And as it was struggling with that great work, he wrote these words, and I'm going to try to speak in the manner that he spoke. Uh, He wrote, In this situation of the assembly, grasping as it were in the dark to find political truth, and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hereunto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequently instances of a super, superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national facility. And have we now forgotten that, power, that powerful friend? Or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, that build it I firmly believe this and I also believe that without his uh, concurring aid we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel we shall be divided by our little partial local interests our projects will be confounded and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages here he's saying in this moment as he's writing as Benjamin Franklin addressed George Washington, that at one time they were praying in that very room. At one time they were realizing that without God's help and then probably in the heat of everything, and in the rush to, once, uh, to, to establish this great nation, they were beginning to already forget what God had done to bring them through from the control and the religious persecution from Great Britain. Isn't that what happened in the Old Testament with the Israelites? When God delivered them out of Egypt, he later had to tell them, you're, you're not teaching your children what I did. You're not reminding them. You need to ride it on your foreheads, write it on your hands. But don't forget, Abraham Lincoln wrote on March 30, 1863, it is, it is the duty of nations as well as of men to own their own dependence upon the overruling power of God. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proved by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. 1984, Ronald Reagan declared, Without God, there is a, a coarsening of the society. Without God's democracy, without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be one nation gone under we see now as refugees uh, uh, Muslim refugees are moving into other countries and some other countries our response is, you must adapt to our culture and you can get into all that and it can get nasty but, but there's, there's some truth to it that where a nation has been founded on Judeo-Christian uh, beliefs that when we start adapting to those of pagans coming in the land then how can we not read God's word and see where that's headed In fact, when God wanted to give the promised land to his people, he wanted them to wipe out every one of the the pagan believers. And what happens when they don't obey that? They decide they're going to keep a few around. Why would we forget that we are a nation under God? Our money, our pledge of allegiance, many of the sayings on the public buildings throughout Washington, D.C. and the rest of the country proclaim this desire to be a nation under God. How can we forget that? Well, actually, even with that overwhelming set of witnesses, even we who are Christians can literally forget God's power over our nation. if We put more faith in our politicians than we do in God. See, the Old Testament has an, inter- an interesting story about Israel's experience with a nation. The nation was uneasy. They had enemies threatening them on every side. The prophet Samuel, who was the leader of their nation, had grown very old and would soon be unable to lead the nation. And his sons, who might have succeeded him, were corrupt and evil men. People looked the politician's situation over and the political situation over and came to a conclusion that they needed a king. Every other nation had a king. Isn't that how it usually goes? Everybody else has one. We need one too. Never mind how those nations are going. They have a king. We need one too. And they wanted one. So from a purely human perspective, that makes sense. Having a king symbolized the desire of strength. Having a king meant they could feel they were on equal footing with the nations around them. Having a king would give them the feeling of security and power in an unsure world. And it's the same thing of why we will go to Facebook and our friends and other people before we go to God with our problems. It's the same reason we want to run across the street and talk to a neighbor about problems before we'll get on our knees and pray to God. They had the same struggle. You see, God was not there in front of them. They could not see him. God appeared to uh, Moses through burning bush. There's other instances, but as a people as a whole, they were not seeing their God in the physical. And so they wanted someone they could see, feel, touch to rule them. And it's an age-old problem. We, we want something physical in front of us, even if it's a flawed, corrupt system even if it's something that, that we know deep down in our hearts is probably not going to serve us well, but it makes us feel better for the moment. And so this is the same thing they were going through, the thing that we deal with, that we were, we, you know, the king uh, or our Facebook or your friend across the street or those things uh, symbolize uh, our desire for strength. They, and the reality, however, was simply that Israel was uncomfortable and impatient. They are uncomfortable and impatient with waiting for God to supply their needs in his time. And how, how timely is this for us to, to be focusing on this? Because there are some folks that are so impatient, that are so uneasy, uncomfortable. You know, I've done so good to stay out of conversations and recently got in one about politics with another believer. And, and you know, they couldn't, even, they couldn't even understand that I was agreeing with some of the things they said because they were so on the defensive. They're just ready to pounce on anybody who had anything to say because they want to prove to everybody they knew the they knew what was up. Israel, they wanted what they wanted, and they want it now. We even see it in our infomercials. Remember that uh uh commercial on the lawyer firm that will help you get your settlement now? It's my money and I want it now. You seen that? It's not been on for a while. I I I couldn't stand that commercial. All I could see was these red-faced little kids stomping their feet. Mine, I want it now. Like they're in Walmart at the toy aisle. But that's exactly exactly how sometimes we as Christians can behave. We want it now. See, they hadn't called for a time of national prayer and fasting to ask for his opinion. They simply held a vote and election and decided that it was all they needed to do. Maybe I'm out of the, since we don't have cable, maybe I've missed it. But it seems to me like in elections in the past, I remember someone uh, of notoriety in the church calling for the whole nation of all believers to fast and pray for the elections. Now I've heard about praying, but I believe that because I've watched this small strand uh, of humility being pulled out even in the church, I believe fasting is directly connected with humility, and I believe it's slowly being removed from the church. And we no longer think about depriving ourselves of our basic wants and needs because we want it, and we want it now. We want God to do his thing over here, but whatever we want, we want it now, even if they're, and we won't see that they're connected, that when we can't give up on our own uh, simple wants and desires for a greater cause, then the nation begins to slip, and so does the church. You don't even hardly see I see more of it because of some of my friends on Facebook, but you know, we've lost several um, Several soldiers just recently over the week But because of all the political posts and all the stuff going on nobody hardly even knows it that we had some horrible deaths with some of our soldiers God later told Samuel in first Samuel 8 7 listen to all that the people are saying to you It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king and the emphasis there is mine. They have rejected me. The problem was that they had put their faith in an ordinary human politician and they had taken their eyes off God. They mistakenly believed that the candidate they had chosen would supply for them what they needed and th- what they wanted. They mistakenly believed that the candidate they had chosen would supply for them the things they were tired of waiting upon the Lord to supply safety, power, and financial security. You see, therein lies our problem. When we put our focus on anyone else other than God as our supreme leader, then guess who we glorify? That's why they can slip by and waste money extravagantly. People are like, well, that's what politicians do. That's what leaders do. That's why they can become corrupt and, and let it go for so long and no one calls them on it because, because well, it's the trade-off. We, we really need our person to lead and, and there's not going to be a perfect one. And so it's because we end up glorifying that position of power over God. We don't realize that we put more trust in the presidency of the United States sometimes than we do in the position of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it's a dangerous, even foolhardy mistake to put more faith in politics, politicians and political parties than we do in God. And it's very easy, a very easy trap to fall into. Now, how can we know when we started relying more on politicians than on God? How can we know that? Well, look at verse eight. I desire then that that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. How many of you know someone who gets caught up in politics so much that they are persistently getting into arguments about it? You don't raise your hand, because what if they're sitting next to you? That would cause the disruption. If you find yourself getting stressed and anxious about politics so that you become angry and argumentative, that's a pretty good sign that in this matter, your faith may be less in God than in your politics where you get really passionate, you get really heated. That's where you need to look very carefully that you're not putting more of your faith in that than in God. I know I've looked, I've read the Bible from one end to the other at at one point in my life or the other. And let me tell you something, not once does the Holy Scripture tell us to be anxious about something. Not once does it say we're supposed to get all wound up and stressed out. Or just to figure stuff out for our own or handle a problem by ourselves. Not once. However, there is in our New Testament uh, scriptures, we see Paul does give a method we can use to correct that kind of short-sighted attitude in our lives. It says, First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Thanksgiving, so supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, but then it specifies under that, so all people, that would be every living, breathing human being, right? Why is there a need to, to put anything else beyond that? Because we're not listing animals, we're not listing the creation, just people, but then it says for kings and all who are in high positions. It goes on, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our savior pray for all the politicians even the ones you don't like especially the ones you don't like because scripture tells us to paul is telling us that that it's fine for us to be and we should be focused on the people around us it's easy to pray for grandma right you love grandma it's easy to pray for mom and dad you love mom and dad even if you're you're not happy with them right then you pray because you want that relationship to get better and then we get into our circle, maybe our boss, or we're trying to reach somebody. But then when it gets further and further detached, it's easier in the natural to just not care that much. I care, I want you to behave yourself, Mr. and Ms. President, without my doing anything, because it's your job. But see, as a believer, we can't be detached. Scripture won't allow us to. If we adhere to all Scripture, it doesn't allow us to be detached that way. We have to be praying for those leaders. Gerald Flurry, editor-in-chief of the Trumpet News magazine, wrote, Prayer is political action. Prayer is social energy. Prayer is public good. Prayer shapes more of our nation's life than is formed by legislation. That we have not collapsed into anarchy is due more to prayer than to the police. Prayer is sustained and intricate act of patriotism in the largest sense of that word. Far more precise, loving, and uh, preserving that any patriotism served up in slogans the single most important action contributing to whatever health and strength there is in our land is prayer and that's the truth why do you think uh, prayer got our prayer and the Bible got removed from school Christians stopped praying for the schools I believe that I'm not saying as a whole no one prayed but I believe that it, it became less and less of a priority Pretty soon, Christians were letting the schools raise their children. When Israel was held captive in a pagan nation, God told Israelites in Jeremiah 29, 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare (coughs) you will find welfare. Do you understand that? They were to pray for their captors the ones who had them in captivity, the land that they did not belong in, they were to pray for them. Because the Lord said, where I have sent you into exile. If the wrong presidential candidate, whoever that is for you, gets voted in Tuesday, guess what? God has sent you into the land of your captors and you are to pray for them and pray to the Lord on, on their behalf for in their welfare you will find your welfare. In other words, if you're not praying for them, they're not going to change for the better. And so it affects you. So what should our prayer be focused on? And this is what I want to spend the last few moments in the message folks, in What should our prayers be focused on? Well, one, we should pray that the power of God is unleashed in us in every Christian who votes. And number two, we should pray uh, for the godly welfare and the godly success of whoever's in leadership. And, and third, that God be glorified. So I want to just frame this up, this last part. This is our action point, what we are to do. Romans 13, 1-5, and 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 through 4 are our focal points for this uh, last part of the sermon. This year's presidential election, it's been absolutely cra- crazy, and I, I admit that. And, you know, look, I struggle in certain things like, like what's the speed limit? Anybody, what, what, what's, the, what's the speed limit on your street? It says thirty, but what is what's the speed limit for you? Thirty-five or forty, right? What's the speed limit on I forty-nine? Uh, Seventy. Now, what's what's really the speed limit for us? Seventy-five or eighty, right? So, this person, we've got to obey the law. I'm still working on this in every instance because it's it's hard when you get to those what you think are gray areas. The verse that we read responsibly from Romans uh, chapter 13 uh, tells us to be subject to the governing authorities explaining there is no authority except that which God has established. And in case we missed it, Paul says again, the authorities that exist have been established by God, Romans 13, 1. Thus he concludes, if you rebel against authority, you're rebelling against God. Here's the thing. So I don't usually mention things, but he is our president now. But President Obama, does he make me mad? Yes. Many times. Has he ever done anything that I'm like, hey, that's pretty good? Maybe not in the things he's enacted, but I've seen interactions. Whether fake or not, I've seen times when he's pulled out more maturity in his response than I'd like to say our two candidates that are being focused on now. Now, I don't, I don't wipe out all the other stuff because I saw him do something that's like, well, that's good. Maybe somebody wrote it for him. Maybe some prompt. But we could go through that. I know some of you don't. It's like, if anything positive about Obama, for some, it's just it's uh, President Obama, but, but the truth is that God has placed him. Now, he, may, he could be an evil, vile, devil-worshipping president, and God can use him for his purpose. The reason we know that, when the children of Israel, when the church in the Old Testament got too far away from God, wake-up call, captivity, evil rulers, Right? He allowed that to happen because what, when do we pray the hardest? When our world comes apart, right? When, when we're in the middle of the worst distress of our life, we will get on our knees finally and call to God and he gets our attention. I mean, we got to obey the law, but do they always get it right? Of course not. Politicians are sinners. Government bureaucrats are full of sinners, which means they are full of sin. And this is the thing that it kind of gets a little elementary, but think about it. We know they're sinners. Now I'm not talking about whether they know Christ or not. I'm a sinner. I still have to, to struggle every day to, to walk Christ-like, and I don't sin. But we all still sin, even as believers. We know that. So we know these politicians are sinners, and they're going to sin. Sometimes we put that standard up there, and I know because they're in a higher position, we put that standard up there, but we put it higher than we could ever reach ourselves. So obey the law. Think about Paul sitting there. He lived during the reign of Nero, a Roman emperor known for his tyranny. Nero murdered his mother, possibly his brother-in-law, and countless Christian believers. And you can imagine how new Christians might might think of themselves uh, trying to obey that leader with such an evil person in charge. Can you imagine the Christian under Hitler's rule? Can you imagine the Christian believer having Hitler as their leader. Yet Paul still told the people to obey their government and authorities when it did not directly conflict with obeying God. Hitler said kill people, were you supposed to kill people as a Christian? No. See, we don't don't see the big picture. We don't know what God is up to behind the scenes. In the Old Testament, God worked through evil nations such as the Assyrians and Babylonians to bring Israel to their knees. God worked through Persia to bring further conviction. And in Isaiah 45, 1, God calls the Persian king, God's anointed, the same word for Messiah. Well, how could he call someone the Messiah? I mean, Messiah is supposed to rescue people, right? Messiah is supposed to be the Savior, the one, well, he's using these pagan rulers to say, listen, if I don't do something drastic now and have someone in authority over you who would treat you badly enough, you're never going to turn back to me. You're never going to come back my, uh, to, to follow me. So even during the, the captivity under a pagan nation, God was still at work behind the scenes to bring about his master plan. If this election goes south, for, for those of us who feel strongly a certain way, then we need to praise God that he is possibly putting us in a position where the church will begin to thrive again in the United States. Where maybe finally Christians will wake up and they'll stop being so judgmental to unbelievers and get out and, and be more active in acts of compassion to reach people for Christ. Instead of sitting on our high horse and making our judgment calls from, from, a, a, t, uh, from a computer screen. God is still at work in our nation in our world today, even when we don't see it. We have to obey the law, submit to government authorities over us. And when they get it right and when they don't, in either case, do the next thing that we're going to talk, pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, pray for everyone, but especially your leaders. So, we need to pray for the mayor, pray for our state and national congress, uh, congressional leaders, pray for our governor, for our judges, for our presidents, pray for your church advisory team, for me, uh, pray for the CEO of your company, but you need to be praying for your leaders. And how do we pray? Paul mentions four ways. First, petitions or asking for things. Second, intercessions are asking for, uh, uh, for things for people, praying specifically for the needs of other people. Third, thanksgiving. And fourth, prayers which include everything else. It's like when, someone, when I'm preaching and someone says, help him, Lord. I really believe they're saying, help him, Lord. It usually means I'm in trouble. So what happens when you pray for your leaders? Well, 1 Timothy 2.2 tells us that when we get to live, we get to live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Things go smoother for us. We are blessed because God answers our prayers and helps us and helps our leaders. So listen, here's the deal. I do covet your prayers. But if your life is in turmoil, let me ask you, are you praying for me? Are you praying for your mayor? Are you praying for other leaders in your life? The scriptures are very clear what happens. You'll live more peacefully. Something interesting happens in prayer. You can be very angry at a leader, but when you get to pray for them, God begins to break down that anger and it starts to become compassion. When we pray with with the right heart, we begin to feel compassion for our leaders instead of disdain. And the third thing we need to do, pray for our leaders, honor God. God is our ultimate leader from whom all authority flows. When we become a Christian believer, we yield ourselves to God's authority. The Bible uses the image of slavery before we were a believer, we were enslaved to our sin, but now we are voluntarily slave to God. In fact, the Christian Motorcycle Club that I'm in, the bond slaves, bond servants, it was the idea that, that at some point, when slaves, there's different kinds of slaves, but when they could earn their freedom, they had the choice to go out and live free, or the ones that truly loved their master, they didn't want to leave them, they wanted to serve them the rest of life, they would have their ear pierced with an awl and a ring put in it to signify they are bond servant. They would no longer leave their, their master. Can you imagine being a slave that says, my master was so good to me, I could have my freedom, but I'd rather stay in slavery. And that's the imagery that's used for us as Christians, that we honor God because he has been such a good master. He's been such a perfect master. Why would we want to leave for our own freedom and be under our own control when he's taking care of us so well? Old Testament example of this when when we must obey God rather than man when we are when we are um, in Acts five twenty seven twenty nine 29 records how some of the apostles were hauled in before the Sanhedrin the Jewish religious council and chewed out for continuing to preach about the risen Christ and their answer was simple we must obey God rather than man and you have to if you have to choose between uh, going with man or God he is the ultimate authority and then we see with the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were to bow down, right? So the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, come on, Veggie Tales, King, King Neb, right? And they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and they would not bow. And here's the interesting thing uh, about them. Um, as they were about to receive their capital punishment, they respectfully told the king, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve our, your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up in Daniel 13, 17, 18. Listen to their wording. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. Not Obama. Not killery. Not, I don't know what, they call him Donald. Maybe I shouldn't repeat it, but you know, <laughs> the Donald. But listen, I catch myself because you're just inundated with stuff. I, I catch myself not saying President Obama. I catch myself not saying those things. I jokingly call Ken Bishop sometimes, but you know, there's people with a uh, that I look at to as leaders in different areas of my life. Uh, it may be spiritual mentoring, it may be a close discipleship thing, but I give them the respect and I may joke about titles, but in my heart, they truly have one. And they said, "Your Majesty." Here they were, he was going to put them to death for trying to force them to disobey God and they're still calling your majesty. They were quite respectful, but their response still ticked off the king so much that he heated the furnace extra hot and uh, and through it all, God supernaturally saved them from the heat. So if you ever have to choose God over government, do it with much prayer and humility and respect. Our pride can easily get in the way and deceive us into thinking we are God's lone spokesperson. Martin Luther King Jr. modeled choosing God over government humbly with his policy of nonviolent resistance, and he called it a courageous confrontation of evil by the power of love. And in so doing so, he helped change the sinful government, which led to a better world. We still have a long way to go, but we have improved greatly from the 60s. So we have, have to obey the law to pray for our leaders and above all honor God. And let me close today with another apostle's words on the subject. First Peter 2, 13-17 Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's it, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Listen to that. Man, if you could just grab out all my sermon, out of, out of the struggle you've been in this morning to get something good to take home with you. Verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Verse 16 Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. The vote you make on your knees has the power no ballot box can equal. You see, the vote we make that counts in any election is not so much the one we make... Uh, privately in our voting booth, it's the one we make publicly and privately communicating with God in prayer. So I want us to end in, in a prayer. I'm going to pray that I, I, I found one uh, online that was a beautiful uh, way of praying. But I just want to share with you one last story. I was at Tractor Supply picking up uh, something for our dog, and um, I walked out and I heard this uh, young voice say, would you like to support Teen Challenge? And I whipped around and I was like why yes I do and I or yes I would and I do <laughs> and started talking there's two young ladies that were in the program both very different stories but one I begin tell her she goes you look familiar I said well you probably come to our church before sure enough she had and talked for a minute she goes oh I've got she she's asked me the very next question she asked me she stepped over away from everybody and said how do I quit seeking the approval of people how do I how do I stop seeking the people I said you've asked the right person because I have struggled with that my whole life and God's helped me. I can't say I'm always 100% broke free of it but for the most part I feel like I am. I am who God wants me to be in him and, and I don't make apologies for the things I know I do right for him. And so I was telling her and in, in, in so uncertain terms that. If we keep our eyes on Christ. So much so that all we've got time to do after that is to love on other people. Then all of our approval comes from from him. We don't need to seek it from someone else because we're spending so much time communing with him. And I said, I'm not making a judgment call on your prayer time, but the way you asked, the way you said it, I've been there, I can tell you, when you finally get to where all you want to focus on is communing with God and then loving people, then you won't need anybody's approval but his. And he's already approved of you. In this election time, a lot of us are getting wrapped up in how this is going to reflect on us, right? I mean, how's this going to look to other nations? How's this going to look to people? If we have that leader in there, if we have this, and listen, that's a little part of us wanting to get man's approval. And it comes out in that pride of worried about what other people are going to think. In this election, all we need to worry about is what God thinks. If he wants to put the most vile person we've ever imagined in that office to maybe get this nation so desperate, maybe give those folks that wanted that person a fill of their medicine so maybe the only thing they got left is God, then we should praise him for it. But keep our mind on Christ. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for... Uh, this opportunity, this Tuesday, Lord, to, to vote in the national elections. And Lord, thank you so much that uh, this is not our permanent home. Lord, I, I thank you that I'm probably more than halfway there to be with you unless you do it any sooner. As a young man, Lord, I feared that day. And now, Lord, as I'm reaching that middle age, I, I can't think of anything better than to leave this broken world and enter into heaven. But Lord... I can't, in good conscience, be so selfish as to only focus on myself and my eternal reward. But Lord, this nation, there are so many who need you, and Lord, there are so many who are putting their hope in this election and in the presidential leader, and they don't have the power, Lord, to change anything on their own. And Lord, I, we can't even guarantee they're going to rely on you. All we know is, Lord, we have the power within ourselves to humble ourselves before you to pray for our nation, to to obey uh, those leaders, whoever they are, Lord, and uh, as long as it's not conflicting with your, your will, Lord. But for us to obey the authority over us, Lord, to pray for our leaders, and in all that, honor you. Lord, prepare our hearts because Tuesday will be some sort of day for us, Lord, emotionally. And I pray that We'll take the opportunity, Lord, whether it's here at the church, but that focus of prayer, we'll find a place to pray on Tuesday, Lord. This nation is depending on the people of God, and we are those people. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And just in, in, with your head still bowed and eyes closed, I want you to just, you can listen along as I pray and agree with me, but I have a a prayer I'd like to to pray, and I'm going to read this prayer. Holy Spirit, we come before you this day in humility and gratitude to plead for your blessings upon those who govern to ensure our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Grant them in abundance your gifts of wisdom that they may always be guided to place the spiritual good of communities and the nation at the highest priority. Understanding that they may recognize the simplicity of truth Counsel that they may recognize the will of God under circumstances that discourage lesser men and women. Fortitude that they may be given the spiritual and physical strength to accept the inevitable burdens of leadership with courageous endurance. Knowledge that they may know the vastness of their mission and yet re- retain humility of spirit and charity for each and every soul. Piety that in manifold duties of their, their offices they may always find time to communicate quietly with you and therein find peace for their souls. Fear of the Lord, that they would forego worldly honors and recognition rather than bow to the will of evil men. May you bless and direct our leaders for as long as it is your will for them to, to guide the destiny of this community, the nation, and the world. Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. Please remind us, too, that you are still in control. Amen. Amen. All right. And love y'all. And, and just remember, at, at about 1230 to 1245, we'll be over at the park at Centerton Park for the first Sunday fellowship. If you have a side, a drink, or dessert, that's great. Uh, we've got hamburgers and hot dogs. All right. Love y'all, and have a blessed Sunday.